Hello and welcome to the Back Nine Report. We go live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and check in on the world of golf to bring you the latest news, insights, analysis, interviews, recaps, previews. Hey, we cover anything and everything golf. In other words, if it's happening in golf, we have it for you. My name is Carlos Torres, and every week I'm alongside my co-host, Fred Alvader. Fred, hi, how are you today? Hey, Carlos, uh, as you know, we are on our 2020 Winter Golf Tour, and we are coming to you live tonight from Mobile, Alabama. In all, we're probably going to hit around 12 states, about 15 golf courses over the next few weeks. For continuing updates, check us out on Facebook and Twitter. We'll be posting stuff there on Instagram as well. You know, and Carlos, although this is a golf show, we, like the rest of the sports world, mourn the loss of one of sports' all-time greats, Kobe Bryant. I'm not a huge fan of the NBA, but I certainly respect the tremendous athletic talent and abilities Kobe possessed. He accumulated five championship rings during his 20-year playing career, plus a couple of scoring titles and was named to the all-defensive team nine times. He was a gifted athlete and a pleasure to watch. At the age of 41, he was taken far too early. Our deepest condolences to his family. Carlos, any comments on that before we jump in here? Yeah, I'll I'll keep it short because um, I get emotional about it. I have been a a lifelong Lakers fan. And um, to me, it was... A superb shocker. I mean, I, I could not believe it at first. I, I thought it was just a, a fake news that was popping up mm-hmm. in, my, in my phone. I was driving back home on Sunday when that when I saw that, and I couldn't believe it. And, uh, and to me, it was like I mean, I have been like I lost somebody close to me. That's yeah. how big of a, a of a mm. fan and, and admirer and respect him. And I know that you know he wasn't. Like everywhere, but as you see all the tributes and all the things that are being done yeah. for him, it makes you see that he has surpassed um, rivalries. Uh, he has the respect of everyone on the, on the NBA. And uh, the NBA really is maybe the closest fraternity for players and uh, um, of team sports. And that is because there are just 12 players in one team. I mean, in hockey is twenty something. When you go to football, it's fifty something. Baseball is twice, uh, it's a lot more. It's twenty some as well. So when you see, I mean, it's forty. I'm sorry. So when you see that, the the camaraderie and all the the things that you've heard from so many people, it, it makes you see that he has transcended all lines and and has been respected. And after he retired, he really became more of an icon because of all the things that he was doing. He even won an Academy Award uh, by his uh, short film, uh, Dear Basketball. Uh, and I, I could go along the whole the show talking about him, but that's what we're not here for. But definitely our condolences go out to Vanessa and, and the kids and, and the girls uh, and to uh, Joe Bryan and his wife, uh, Kobe's parents. So, um, you know, it, it, it's a tough, tough time. But uh, we just uh, pay our respects to him, and uh, we'll remember him for the great athlete that he, that he was. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. It's uh, it's a real shame. Uh, it just uh, should never have happened. They should never have been up in the air. But well, after that somber note in golf this week, we are focusing on Mark Leishman zipped past John Rahm to win at Torrey Pines. Tiger played okay, not great, but okay. The big names are in Saudi Arabia this week for the second Saudi International. So. Carlos, like every week, we got a lot of golf to talk about, so let's get to it. Let's go. Let's get started right away, and like you mentioned, there was a tournament on the PGA Tour that was the Farmers Insurance Open where Mark Leishman won his fifth PGA Tour title, but he did it in style. I mean, he, he played superb all week. He played even better on Sunday. He shot a 65 here on Sunday at Torrey Pines. He was searching for his first week win since October of last year. He made eight birdies, just one bogey. It was really a tough day there in San Diego where only him and Charlie Hoffman shot lower than five under. It was really tough conditions, but they were the only two that really mastered it on Sunday. Leishman made five birdies right away in his front nine to go clear at the top of the leaderboard. And really at that point, I was like, man, this guy's kind of he's going to stro- he's going to stroll home he's going to just win it easy and that was because when you, when i looked at the leaderboard that final group of ram McElroy, and ryan palmer they were eight over after four holes <laughs> it was like although rampant ram almost took the tournament to extra holes thanks to a stunning back nine he was uh, i mean john won it back in 2017 he shot three over for the front nine but that back nine, he came back in a five under with an eagle and four birdies in his last six holes. I almost thought he was going to get him. That got him to 14 under, which was one shy of Leishman at 15 under. Who's birdie that on the 18 was the winning stroke at the end? So the 36-year-old Leishman 65 was in spite of what he I would say was a poor driving that final time. Uh, he just hit three fairways and lost 1.235 strokes to the field, which was 70th good for the day. However, his putting was electrifying. That stroke gains plus 4.778 for the day and plus 8.031 for the week and led the field in that. So to finish there, the, the leaderboard, Mark Leishman first at 15 under. John Ramble was solo second. Good effort by him. Brent Snedekren finished on the D3. Tom Hogue was uh, a uh, five. Bubba Watson, Patrick Reed, and Tony Fina were T6. And seven-time champion Tiger Woods closed with a 70 at two under. Not great, but he finished T9 at nine under along with Harry Higgs. Charlie Hoffman, Patrick Rogers, Max Hoffman, and Val Hustler. And yes, I am going to mention it. I got this text today. Then you're not going to mention Jordan Speed because he finished the 55. I say, yeah. I'm not mentioning I will mention him. I'm mentioning him. I'm not ashamed. He was his first tournament of the year. <laughs> he was ill. He played well at the beginning. I think he just got a little tired. And yes, he has fallen out of the world's top 50 for the first time in over six years. You might remember he spent 26 weeks at top of the world golf rankings. Uh, but was the last time outside of the top 50 backing of, this, of uh, 2013, he just managed just five top five, five, five top tens, I'm sorry, last year in the calendar year, which was his second winless year in a row. 
But I'm going to tell you this. Judging by his statistics, last year and this one so far, he's still struggling with his long game despite positive numbers from around and on the greens. He was second in stroke game putting last year, but 157 in T2 green. That's where the problem he's having. 176 off the tee and 181st in driving accuracy. His poor play really resulted in, really, in missing out on the President's Cup. First time that he has missed a U.S. Ryder Cup of President's Cup team since 2012. And like I said, he said that missing out on the match really sucked, but has given him fire not to miss out again. And I'm telling you, I'm not worried. He's going to pick it up. It was his first one. Right? He's going to make a President's uh, Ryder Cup. I think he is a little bit more motivated. I, I hope it works out for him. We need him, uh, really need him playing well. You're exactly right, Carlos. Um, Leishman started in seventh place, uh, but that's 65. That was really a good round. He started out hot. Um, you know, he had, uh, he had birdies on uh, five birdies in the first eight holes to slip past Rom, who uh, had a double and bogeys on the front nine. So that allowed Leishman to get around him. Rory played pretty well after three months off, the first tournament back. Bubba Watson, uh, Patrick Reed, both tied for T6. You know, Patrick Reed, amidst all this controversy, I think he just feeds off this stuff. I mean, he's just posting top 10 after top 10. Um, you know, he's going to make the Ryder Cup team on his own merit. Um, not going to have to worry about being a captain's pick. Um, that should be interesting this fall. Uh, Charlie Hoffman also had a 65 on Sunday. As you mentioned, he and, and Leishman were the only ones that had good rounds all day. He moved up 41 places on Sunday to finish T9 with Tiger, uh, Max Homa, and uh, Patrick Rogers, Bo Hosser. Harry Higgs, Harry Higgs got quite a lot of press coming in, someone to watch going forward, it looks like. Higgs was a teammate of Bryson DeChambeau at SMU, and has quite a sense of humor. He is active on Twitter and does a mean George Costanza impersonation. Ah, Renaissance man. you got to love a man of many talents. He could be the future David Faraday of the golf broadcasting world, maybe. Tiger, well, he played good, not great. It was a little bit cold for him, I think. He looked a bit tentative to me, not really letting it all go. Uh, still a very respectable performance for a 44-year-old playing with the 20-somethings. I had time to watch quite a bit of the Farmers on Saturday afternoon. I kind of found it to be slow and boring, Carlos. The play was not that good. I, I think the course was playing very difficult. And the greens with that POA, uh, that POA was about as bad as I've ever seen it out there for this tournament. I don't know if you noticed that, but um, putting was like, it was like a real adventure. You could just see the players flinching on even little tap-ins. They just didn't know where that ball was going. Torrey is a very difficult golf course, no doubt. When it is cool and breezy, it's even more so. I normally enjoy watching the best pro golfers in the world struggle a little bit on good golf courses, but I just could not get into it last, uh, last week. I must be getting old, Carlos. Probably didn't hurt that I just played a poor round in the morning and it was sulking in my room. So maybe that maybe that contributed to it. But again, Tori looked beautiful. Uh, but man, those greens this time of year, wow, they look rough as uh, they looked really rough trying to putt on those babies. Yeah, that Sunday 
barely. Only Leishman really was the one, and Charlie Hoffman were the only ones that looked like they knew what they were doing. And it showed Ram only on that back nine was that he was able to, to make a comeback. But it was a, yeah, it, it looked just like they were struggling all day on Sunday. Hey, let's talk about the European tour. Now the Omega Dubai Desert Classic, Lucas A. Bird survived two playoff holes, not one, two, against Christian Besuidenhot Sunday at the Omega Dubai What was that name again, Christian? What? What was that name, Christian? What? Besuidenhot. Besuidenhot. Wow. I'm glad you got that, not me, I'll tell you that. Well, you're gonna talk about him because he was this, he finished second. So he's just he's just Christian. So Forget the lesson. <laughs> <laughs> well, a bird along with Bezuidenhot entered the final round six shots back of leader Ashen Wu at the Emirates Golf Club. Wu finished Sunday with a five over seventy seven. What happened to you? I mean, he was five over on the back nine. He really unraveled. I don't know if it was nerves, what happened to Ashun, but who really wasn't him on that back nine. He finished T six at six under. On that eighteen hole before the, the playoff, the Sweden Hot found the water but saved his chances at victory when he made a putt for bogey to match a bird's final round of 68, sat at nine under to force that playoff. Then a bird who birdied the 18 the first time, the time they played, Sunday, birdied the second playoff hole on number 18 to seal the win. Adier now team Burmester and Tom Lewis finished G3 at seven under, while American Kurt Katayama and Wu finished T6 at 6-under. The defending champion, Branson DeChambeau, who was giving a slow play warning on the 10th, finished T8 at 5-under after a 76. He was 3-over on the back nine. You know, Fred, <laughs> let's say this. A deliberate approach may have paid off last year for Bryson DeChambeau in Dubai. I know you're going to talk about this, but I have to. Because it was incredible <laughs> listening to him before in the press conference. I'll bring it on. Yeah. Some slow play warnings. Yeah, I'll bring them on. And maybe last year it paid off for him. But this time around, it left him a few holes short on the defense. You might remember he cruised the victory a lot, uh, last year. And TV cameras caught him discussing air density calculations on the 72nd hole with his caddy team talker. My God, what are you talking about? But anyway, he started that Sunday's <laughs> final round two shots behind Ashen Wu. He sought to keep the trophy and had moving to a tie for the lead with four holes to go. But then his pace of play again became an issue when he received a slow play warning from an European tour official on the 10th hole. He went on to make par, and cameras later later documented a thorough club choice debate with Tucker on the 14th hole between a 10 o'clock 8 iron and a 10.39 iron. That's what he was. (laughs) I don't know what that means, but I guess those scientific terms regarding irons. But anyway... DeChambeau's subsequent part in number 14 came to tie for the lead, but it proved to be his final part of the day. He closed his round with four straight bogeys from there, dropping from a share of the lead into a tie for eight and four shots out of a playoff after signing for 26. 
I mean, some you can say saw a silver lining on Sunday when it became when it came to the Shambos overall pace. Eddie Pepper, <laughs> this was funny. Eddie Pepper has loved you know a few Twitter barbs in the Shambos direction in recent months over slow play. And the two were paired together for the final round in Dubai. I was like, oh, my God, he's, they're going to fight here. But anyway, Pepper <laughs> tweeted, we actually got on quite well. And to his credit, he sped up. So, yeah, now we see when you really have to be like the rest of the field, you start to see really if you're good enough or not. And apparently, Bryson, you are not if you have to pay, play at the same play, pace that everybody else does, Fred. Yeah, well, and you know what? Uh, evidently, the Euros are not impressed with uh, DeChambeau's tardiness on the uh, fairways, and they're serious about this slow pace play stuff, speeding up a little bit. So um, they, uh, they, they, they warned him, and it really messed him up. It really evidently did mess up his timing, and he kind of folded after that. But what I really, a couple of things I really want to talk about, Carlos, is this. So the opposite end of the spectrum of this thing is that this uh, uh, Sebastian uh, Soderberg went out first, and he didn't have a spotter, and he and his caddy played all 18 holes in 97 minutes. That's that's amazing. I mean, they were running. He was hitting and running. The caddy was carrying. They were just off to the races, man. Um, he played a shot of 75, so, you know, it obviously affected his score a little bit. But uh, he, uh, he just took off, and they, uh, they were out of there. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention was that uh, Dean Burmester and his family were involved in a four-car collision on Wednesday ahead of the tournament, but escaped with only minor injuries. There were four cars involved in the accident. Uh, their Uber driver drove straight into the back of a Porsche and then ricocheted into another car. Um, he said, you know, the accident really helped him focus a little bit more on what is really important and not get so uptight during his round. He relaxed, and he actually played a little bit better. So maybe there's a lesson in there for all of us, Carlos, not to get too uptight and make a game too serious and just have fun with it. But uh yeah, the, the, the fun part of this thing was uh, the officials uh, getting on Sham, DeChambeau for slow play. Um, that was definitely the main story coming out of that whole tournament, Carlos. <laughs> yeah, I I laughed at, at Soderberg. He, it was funny just to see the highlights, the way that he won there, 97 minutes, which re- really is a new record, in the, according to the European Tour of one hour and 36 minutes. So uh, still he's short of the record that is by Wesley Bryan, uh, who went better than both as well as Sutherberg with a one hour and 26 minutes in the final round of the 2017 BMW Championship. But it was funny. I saw afterwards the, the Omega Golf Dubai tweeted uh, the caddy after he finished he was face down on the grass i mean if you haven't seen it that picture is <laughs> in the grass after after looking quite relieved to be done it, it was just really? too funny too funny yeah yeah you, you should see it's uh at omega golf dubai if, if anybody wants to see it can it you was, imagine can you pepper. imagine carrying a carrying a pro's golf bag and running around 18 holes like that for an hour and a half 
that would be he better be drinking a lot of water, man. That had to be a lot of work. That had to be really draining. Yeah, they even interviewed him, the the caddy, and he said, oh, I had to catch my breath a little bit, but yeah, now I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> wow. He was that was well, he didn't have anything else to lose. He was in last place. There's nothing else for him to do. Let me just run out right. and let's try to do something they're funny and hey he did it hey to his credit he wasn't that bad at all i mean 75 wasn't that bad but anyway yeah for for playing it that that fast yeah he and he didn't hit a single fairway okay yeah he didn't hit one and uh, still made that 75 so that's that's pretty good shooting 75 uh, not hitting one fairway yeah he didn't he didn't hit a single fairway there so uh, during that, that he was one birdie and four bogeys, if I recall. That's how he won. So, anyway, let's move on now and talk about the LPGA. And uh, this one is one that I've been waiting for her to finish, finally do it. And it was Madeline Sackstrom. I remember last week she was out spectating at the Diamond Resorts Tournament of Champion at her home course. She couldn't play, and she was fielding more than a few questions from members wanting to know. Why she wasn't on the field? What happened, Madeline? Why you're not here? The answer was, of course, frustratingly obvious that she had not won yet. That was only for winners. But anyway, one week later, Saxstrom now is an early favorite for next year's TOC. And you know why? Because she drained an eight-foot uh, putt for par on the 72nd hold, avoided a playoff with NASA Hataoka, three-putted for bogey to finish second for a second consecutive week, and she won. Saxstrom began the week with a career-low 62 and entered the final round with a two-stroke lead over Hataoka, who is ranked fifth in the world. And the 2017 Solheim Cup player said that she was physically shaky from the start, but proved her medal time and again with clutch shots. She had help from an unlikely source, too, and this is a nice story to tell you. A couple of weeks ago, Saxstrom called her boyfriend's father and asked ask him if he could fill in as her caddy while he was visiting on vacation in Florida. <clears throat> Saxstrom's regular caddy, David Buhai, who is the husband of LPGA player Ashley Buhai, was unavailable for that, for that week. Alan Clark, who retired from career in data communications, certainly rose to the occasion. And Saxstrom said she was proud of him for fighting through the fatigue for the first couple of days. He's 68 years old, and he looked like he was still in shock when he was over, but his son Jack was in tears. Madeline first met uh, Jack Clark at the UL International Crown two years ago, and they have been dating for 18 months. Jack is another caddy. His boss, Karen Hedwell, missed the cut this week, so he has been agonizing outside the ropes for the last two days. His dad, Alan's main job for the week, was just to double-check Madeline's map. Otherwise, she wasn't her own. <laughs> After making that turn in one, Saxstrom hold a bumper shot on the teams and then followed it with a birdie on the 11. She was knotted with Hasaoka at 16-under until then Hasaoka were a par 5-16 to take a one-shot lead. You might say, okay, this is over. I mean, how Saxstrom is going to respond? Well, she stuffed an 8-iron on the par 3-17 to 3 feet. It really wasn't exactly where she aimed, but turned out to be the perfect miss. She drained the putt to square with Hataoka once more as they headed up for the final hole with Hataoka on the green in regulation 
and Saxon left in the rough, the events that follow really came as a surprise to everyone that was watching. Hataoka missed her part part. Saxon turned around and looked at the leaderboard, unsure of what that meant. She had yet to realize that Daniel King finished two shots back in solo third. When it finally sank in, the tears flowed as much as the champagne there. And when it was over, <laughs> Alan Clark heard Caddy abruptly retire from caddying, saying, I have reached the pinnacle. I retire from caddying. I'm not going <laughs> to caddy anymore. <laughs> so that was a working vacation they really never forget. Saxon made $300,000 for her victory and crossed the $1 million mark in official career earnings. The game bridge marked her 69th start on the LPGA. She was a three-time winner on the Symmetra Tour in 2016. Back then, I expected her to, you know, be big time or at least start to do well on the LPGA. She holds the, the that tour's record for single-season earnings. But it wasn't until now, Fred, finally she made it, and she's a winner. And congratulations for her. It was a great win for her. Yeah, we talked about Madeline Sexton a couple of years ago as we were rolling up to the uh, Solheim Cup. She was uh, she was playing quite well. Um, you know, every time I turn around lately, it's somebody from LSU doing something. LSU won the football thing, and Joe Burrow gets the Heisman Trophy from LSU, and now Marlene Sexton from LSU gets a win, wins three hundred thousand dollars. This was her 69th career LPG, LPGA Tour start. Uh, she's the 12th different player from Sweden to win on the LPGA Tour. First since Pernella Lindbergh won the 2018 a Inspiration. This is her fourth season on the LPGA Tour. She had six career top ten finishes, um, and her best was a runner-up at the 2019 Pure Silk last year. Um, and as we mentioned, she was a member of the 2017 Solheim, European Solheim Cup team. And uh, she played for Team Sweden in the UL International Crown in 2018. So um, good for her. Um, maybe this will maybe now give her some confidence, make her more comfortable. We might see her win one or two more times this year, Carlos. Uh, she's that kind of player because, you know, she's been successful all the way up through. Uh, Hataoka, my goodness. Now, you know, she was runner-up last week. She's runner-up again this week. Um, what has she got to do to win an event? Man, she's getting awful close. Uh, Daniel Kang, you know, had a great year last year. She's starting off strong in this year. Um, ends up with, uh, with a third-place finish. So, um, you know, LPGA is off now for a couple weeks, but uh, – they're off to a good start with these last two weeks. Uh, good tournaments, Carlos. Very good, definitely, and very good playing by Madeline. I, I totally agree with you. It could be maybe the, the that one that break the ice for her, and who knows what, what's expected. She's a very, very good player. I think she just needed to, to go through that first first win. She said it, that she was shaky at the start, but she was able to – to go through, so this will be a very good experience, winning experience for her. Now, on the Corn Ferry Tour, Jared Wolf won the Bahamas Great Abaco Classic at Bahamar. That was last Wednesday to, for his first Corn Ferry Tour title. He closed with a three-under in strong win for a four-stroke victory over Brandon Harkins. He has been a winner of the last 
three years on the PGA Tour Latino America, and he finished at 18 under at the Royal Blue Golf Course. Uh, he's a 31-year-old former Murray State player. He earned $108,000 for for this win. There were winds gusting to 30 miles per hour, and Wolf was one of only two players to break the 70 mark on the final round. He bogeyed the par 3, 14th hole after hitting into the water. Then he birdied the par 4, 15, the 16, and the par 5, 18. He also birdied three of his last four holes on Tuesday to take a one-shot lead over Harkins into the final round. Harkins finished with 22. Fred, Billy Kennerly, Curtis Thompson, and Nick Harley tied for third at 13 under. Yeah, Wolf gave a lot of credit uh, for, uh, you know, being able to play on the Latino American tour uh, and then getting that win down there to give him the confidence to work on his game, to be able to get up to the corn Ferry tour now and, and get a win up there. And looks like, you know, he's on his way probably to be on the PGA tour next year. So, um, you know, he's, he's traveling this year with his uh, wife and his daughter. You know, I think that's making him a little bit more comfortable the way he's talking. Um, so, you know, if he can have, you know, what is he going to need? Maybe a couple more top ten finishes this year, and he's got all year to do it. He will be on the PGA Tour next year. So, uh, so yeah, coming all the way from Latino America last year to Corn Ferry this year and PGA Tour next year, that's the way you're supposed to do it, Carlos. Most definitely. And with that, we wrap up our weekend backspin and now move on to the Oracle where we're going to be – bringing you the preview of the weekend's action. And let's start on the European Tour, where, in theory, the sponsors of uh, this week's European Tour offering, the South International, have put $3.5 million into the prize pot for this week's field. But in reality, of course, they've almost certainly coughed up a heck of a lot more to ensure the presence of golfers who don't usually make a habit of trade traipsing around the world for such offerings. Golfers, especially those on-site at tournaments, tend to live in a bubble and never is that more so than this week, when ethical and moral questions of the host country will be put on to, the, to one side with clumsy evasions. It may seem a non-gaming issue, but some will win, wilt under that pressure and others remain obvious. Dustin Johnson, whatever he shoots, will probably defend his title better than his decision to travel, and he will be chased by Brooks Kepka, Patrick Reed, and maybe Phil Mickelson. Last year, the callers yielded to the big hitters, so there's every chance that those stars will be in contention, although they will need to overcome greens that are grainy. It's a curiosity of the week that, while the Waste Management Phoenix Open plays host to the largest galleries in the sport, a field playing for this many world ranking points has probably never played in front of so few paying spectators. So some of the top uh, five players from last year uh, that are going to be playing here, Dustin Johnson returns, Hao Tong Lee, Tom Lewis, Mingwoo Lee, and Alexander Levy. Uh, we can probably assume that Johnson would have ranked top 13 for distance, making it five for five, but you know, we'll see the course. Uh, it's a European golf design layout, and they have been responsible for the creation of many layouts used on the European tour. Usually it's a par 72 that tracks uh, plays to 70 
<clears throat> par 70 this week at 7,000 yards. And the weather there, the temperatures are expected to take a bit of a dip to the 60s for the days of the tournament itself, and a bit of a cloud will be responsible. So, Fred, here it is. The Saudi International is upon us, so what's your take on it? Big money means big names in Saudi Arabia. It's a Rolex series event, big purse, bigger appearance fees for top names. You said, uh, you know, $3.5 million purse. They got to be spending $20 million in appearance fees to get these guys to come over there. Maybe more. I don't know. World number one will tee it up in Saudi International. You got Brooks Kepka over there. Um, you got, uh, it's only a second start after missing three months due to his knee surgery. He played so-so in the Abu Dhabi, if you remember. Wouldn't be surprised to see Brooks win this week if he's, if he's healthy enough. And, and you know, I, I would not be surprised if he, uh, if he won this thing. Um, only two par fives on this golf course at 7,010 yards. Uh, may not seem overly long, but uh, considering it's a par 70, um, you got uh, that it should be long enough. And probably the wind blows a little bit there, too. You got uh, Phil Mickelson in the field, Carlos. Remember, we talked about him going over there. That's really a surprise. You got Dustin Johnson defending. And then it, the field is loaded with European Ryder Cup guys. You got uh, Shane Lowry, Bern Beesberger, Matt Wallace, Ian Poulter, Henrik Stenson, Sergio Garcia, Martin Keimer, uh, Lee Westwood, who just won a Rolex Series event on the European Tour, Rafa Cabrera-Bello, Thomas Peters. Uh, and then Victor Perez, who begins the week as Europe's highest-ranked Ryder Cup points earner in the field. So it's really a strong field. But like you say, if you watch any of it on TV, um, you're not going to see very many crowds. There might be 20, 30 people out there following the groups. There's, you know, there's nobody there. But, uh, but man, they sure playing big money to get these guys to come over and, and get some TV time and, Say, hey, look at us. We're Saudi Arabia. We're not that bad. You know, we're we're nice guys. We're we're not the bad guys here. So, um, don't know. It's it's really just kind of like a made for TV uh, exhibition more than a regular European tour event. But uh, they're paying uh, paying medium prize money, but they're paying big appearance fees, Carlos. Most definitely, and that's why you see all those big names there instead of the tournament that is going to be in the PGA Tour which is the Waste Management Phoenix Open that is played at the TPC Scottsdale Stadium Course in Scottsdale, Arizona. It has a purse of $7.3 million. The winner will take $1.14 million, which is almost half of the total purse of the South International. Ricky Fowler is looking to seek his first title defense there in Phoenix. He's the defending champion. The FedEx Cup leader right now is still Justin Thomas. He has joined now Tiger Woods, Jimmy Walker, and Dustin Johnson as the only players to hold the number one spot in the FedEx Cup rankings for 30 weeks in their career. Ricky Fowler's previous best finish in five title defenses was a T46 at the 2016 Dell Technologies Championship. Will he better this year? I think so. I mean, he plays just too good in this course. Jordan Spieth, I mentioned he's ranked number 51. The first week he has been outside of the top 50 since 2013. He needs to move within the top 50 if he wants to qualify for next month's WGC Mexico Championship. Bubba Watson has four career top five finishes here. Watch out for him. He always plays really good here and plays out to the crowd. Blythe Bryson DeChambeau is making his first start of 2020 on the PGA Tour. 
is seeking his first tour victory since the Shriners Hospital for Children opened in the fall of 2018. Uh, if you're looking to how many holes in one have been in that famous stadium hole in the 16, the part 316, in that history, only nine holes in one have been recorded, and everybody is there watching it. That's the that's the big event here in this tournament. The record scoring, the scoring record so far of 256 for 72 holes, is held by Mark Kalkavecki in 2001. Bill Mickelson did it on tied it on 2013, but he's not going to be here for it. Well, I know who had one of those nine holes in the ones. I can't tell you who had the other eight, but I know who one of them was. Uh, Tiger knocked one in there back in what was it, 97 or 95 or somewhere along in there back when he was just early on the tour and still played places like the Waste Management Phoenix Open. He wouldn't be caught dead playing there today, but but he played it back then. Um, if the Super Bowl is this Sunday, that means it must be time for the stadium 16th and the loudest show on grass at the Waste Management Phoenix Open in the TPC of Scottsdale. The beer trucks have been unloading kegs and cases at TPC Scottsdale for over a week. The stadium is up and ready for rowdy golf fans to yell, boo, cheer, and beg for swag from the players as they try to hit the green on the par 3 16th. The stadium hole at the Waste Manager Phoenix Open can be intimidating for some and a chance to show off for others. If you are a player who doesn't want to be embarrassed, then this can be an intimidating exercise. If you are the type that likes to show off your golfing skills and can laugh at your own mistakes, then this is the place for you. The attendance at the Waste Managed Phoenix Open is by far the largest of any golf event in the world. Over 700,000 will jam into the golf course over the course of the week. Over 100,000 will be there on site on Saturday alone. It's more of an event than a golf tournament. Maybe this is what I need to get my head back into the game, watching PGA golf on TV. Carlos, I don't know if I'll see much of it, but I'll give her a try. I'll, I'll give it the old college try. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about the Champions Tour. The Morocco Champions is going to be played at the Samana Golf Club in Marrakech, in Morocco, and the purse is $20. Where? Where? You're, you're talking about the Champions Morocco. Tour? You're talking about the old guys? Where are they playing? Yeah, in Morocco, in Marrakech. Morocco, so like in Africa? In, they're going clear to Africa Island. to play golf? Yes, they are. They will be there. And they will play for a $2 million purse. The winner will take $320,000. This is the first time this pl this tournament will be held. It's the inaugural event. Miguel Angel Jimenez is a tour best 59 under par over the past four tournaments. He has won two times and is the only player with top five finishes in each of the four events. Golf's most interesting man is on fire. This will be the first PGA Tour sanctioned stroke play event to be contested on the continent of Africa. The 2003 President's Cup was held on the links course of Fancourt Hotel and Country Clubs in George, South Africa. Bernhard Langer, now 62, has 40 career championship victories. He's still five shy of Hale Erwin's all-time record. So, Fred, you know, that's one of the stories to follow this year on the Champions Tour. 
This could be the start of a beautiful friendship. I hope that line resonates with a few of our listeners. Champions Tour goes across the Atlantic for a new event in Morocco. As you say, first Champions Tour event on the continent of Africa. So, where is Morocco, you ask? In case any of our listeners are geographically challenged, Morocco sits on the northern shores of the African continent. It overlooks the Mediterranean Sea to the north, the Atlantic Ocean to the west, and has land borders with Algeria and the Western Sahara to the south. If you're a fan of old movies, Morocco was a part of occupied France during World War II and the basis for the movie Casablanca. One of my all-time favorites, Carlos, you can't beat that movie. The capital is Rabat, and the largest city is Casablanca. It spans an area of uh, about 275,000 square miles, population of over 36 million. Uh, we had Matt Janelle on the show a couple years ago after he'd taken a trip to Morocco, and he told us the country is perfect for building golf courses, and the royal family was making a serious effort to use golf travel to attract Europeans as well as Americans to the country. The monarchy has reigned in Morocco since the 1600s. It's a relatively successful country with the fifth largest economy in Africa. Holding a Champions Tour event in the country will bring additional attention and will most certainly lure more golfaholics to the area, Carlos. Most definitely, and uh, that's a way to continue to see and explore new venues and try to expand. And definitely, uh, we're going to talk pretty soon about the Premier Golf League, so I'm going to keep those comments for then. Mm-hmm. But anyway, let's talk now about the the, the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, the traditional Central America swing begins this week at the Panama Championship. That'll be the third of 25 regular season events on this uh, 2020 calendar. The Venerable Golf Club of Panama, a traditionally firm fast venue, will be hosting the event for a 17th consecutive season. The Par 70 layout requires well-thought-out strategy when it comes to club selection off the tee, as well as creativity in how to play approach shots toward the green. So, Fred, notable past champions of this tournament include Jimmy Walker in 2004, Carlos Ortiz in 2014, Ryan Armour 2016, and Andrew Putnam in 2017. This week, of course, is just the third, so everybody's playing here. What's your take on the Corn Ferry Tour, the Panama Championship? Well, I think you covered all the details on the on the tournament, but I, I want to just talk about one golfer a little bit, Shane Smith. Uh, is a member of the Corn Ferry Tour this year, but last year he played on the Latino American Tour. Uh, he only made two cuts last year. Golf was not fun. He was forced to find a job as a work recruiter. He didn't take his clubs out of his trunk for six months. He found that working in an office was not his thing when his former college coach called him and brought him into his academy in Virginia to teach talented junior golfers. It worked for him. Working with the kids, he found his love for the game, worked out a few kinks on the range, and practice screen, was able to turn, was able to earn his 2020 Corn Ferry Tour card at Q School, and here he is playing for money and enjoying it. He's going to be in Panama this week. He said, I play golf because I have a passion for, the, for it again. I am motivated for it, and I have talent for it. He said, 
if I hadn't got that other job, I wouldn't be anywhere near where I am right now. So, uh, Carlos, uh, you know, we talked a lot about tonight about the Latino American, you know, tour and making it through the Corn Ferry and working your way up the PGA Tour. But this thing is really working. You know, we've been following when the, when the PGA Tour decided to come out with a Latino American tour, um, you know, what has been now five years ago or whatever, uh, we weren't sure how it was all going to work. But it's it's just working fantastic. It gives these young guys that aren't quite ready to be a real pro yet. Some of these second line college guys that are pretty good, maybe they're just not mature yet as some of the other kids. They can go play if they can find the money to do it. They can go play on the Latino American tour, the McKenzie tour in Canada, work their way up to Corn Ferry, and hopefully then work their way on up to the uh, PGA tour. So, um, yeah, this uh, Panama Championships, one more stop on the Corn Ferry tour. Watch these guys because these are the guys you're going to be seeing on the PGA Tour in the coming years. And with that, we wrap up our four call. Fred, you have some words from Boeing. Baby, it's cold and snowy outside right now at Boeing Resort, but they are offering a hot deal for summer golf on their 10 courses, all by top name designers. They have a course to suit every player. During the month of January, they're offering 15% off the Champions Tour golf package for stays May 13th to June 20th of this year. Plus, you can purchase a stay-and-play package from $109 or an unlimited golf package from $145 a day this summer. Start your golf season off of luxury with a stay at the Inn at Bay Harbor. 18 holes of golf at the Bay Harbor Golf Club and breakfast for two each day. It's good stuff. The Inn at Bay Harbor, beautiful, beautiful place, and the, uh, the Bay Harbor Golf Course, it is, it is absolutely gorgeous. Don't forget, Boyne has three spas, plus a multitude of outdoor activities. Makes Boyne one of the premier vacation resorts in the country. Call 855-813-2109. That's 855-813-2109 to make your reservation. Or... Visit boyne.com forward slash golf. That's B-O-Y-N-E dot com forward slash golf. Tell them back nine reports sent you. Carlos. All right. Now let's talk par five news where every week we pick five pieces of news worth mentioning and we talk about them. The first one, I have to say that the British-based World Golf Group has finally publicly unveiled its plan for a new global tour that would comprise 18 yearly tournaments featuring 48 of the game's top players. Nearly after two years, basically, since Routers uh, first reported the the group's plan, the Premier Golf League hopes to launch in January of 2022. That's according to a news release uh, that was uh, released on Saturday. Each tournament would have price money of $10 million. Whether the tour is feasible, that is what remains to be seen on an already crowded calendar of golf. The PGL said it wanted to work with established tours rather than as a breakaway circuit, but the U.S.-based PGA Tour and European Tour have all been all but dismissive about the proposed circuit. The European Tour has been similarly dismissive. 
the PGA Tour has a policy in which players must seek a release from the commissioner each time they want to play an event on anything other than the, their home tour. This effectively restricts American players to a handful of international appearances a year. Top players already have at least six must-play events each season. The Masters, PGA Championship, the U.S. Open, the British Open, the Players' Championship, and either the Ryder Cup or President's Cup. No players have publicly committed to the proposed tour, although Rory McIlroy said on Saturday discussions with players have been going on for years. He even mentioned that they have been talking to them for over six years right now. But despite the obstacles, the PGL sounded upbeat about its chances of getting off the ground. Its statement said the tour would be an individual and team league with 12 teams of four players vying for a world championship. Ten of the 18 events would be in the U.S. All would be three rounds with no cut. The PGA, the PGL, Fred, said that uh, the current professional structure of golf is outdated, that they want to, the world to watch, to showcase their best product week in and week out, and that golf doesn't do that currently. What's your take on this PGL? Uh, I know we've seen this uh, ever since Greg Norman first brought up the idea of a world tour, but seems like finally it's taking shape. I think players are starting at least to acknowledge it. Phil Mickelson did it as well. Rory McIlroy gaining steam. There's going to be objections, of course, from the PGA Tour and the European Tour. But I think that at the end, they will fall in line and there will be a collaboration between the three. Well... Evidently, they got a bunch of money behind them. Um, I don't know where it's coming from, but uh, they got some people with some deep pockets. Um, I don't know, Carlos. Uh, yeah, it's going to have to be. I, I can't see them going on on their own because the big name guys are all committed to either the European Tour or the PGA Tour, and they can't really break away from that because those tours are set, they're established. That's how they've made their money. I can't see them turning their back on those tours and just jumping onto somebody new. Because if it didn't work and they ever had to come back, uh, the players would shun them. I mean, it would be it would be ugly. So uh, I just can't see that really happening right now. And I can't see what the advantage for the PGA Tour would be to to have a uh, a partnership with them. Um, and I, 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 I'm, I'm, I don't see it. I was been trying to figure out how they could work that out. You know, we've talked about it previously about the group in Europe that's, that's tried to get a world golf tour going that would pay much larger purses. Um, and evidently they've been reaching out to current top name pros to entice them into joining their efforts. Um, the pros have to walk a fine line here. Although they are independent contractors, they are obligated to play a set number of events on either the PGA Tour or the European Tour, whichever they belong to. The proposed global premier, I'm sorry, the proposed premier golf league would feature, it says, only the top 48 players in the world in 18 worldwide events with $10 million purses. Well, we just had the players announce they're going to have a $15 million purse. And I'm going to talk more about that later. But uh, the players could not pick and choose events. They, they're required to compete in all 18 
unless they're injured or, you know, death in a family or something like that, there's also going to be additional bonus opportunities to earn even more money. It, Rory McIlroy, as you mentioned, said he thinks even if the proposed global golf tour doesn't come to fruition, it may spawn new changes to the current tours that would maybe help all tour pros. As you mentioned, Greg Norman tried to start a separate tour, a world golf tour in the mid-80s. Well, that led to the world golf tour, those four events, um, with larger purses and invitation-only fields. A little later, I'm going to talk more about the players raising their, their, their purse. You know the Masters and the PGA will also raise accordingly, and the Open is going to be forced to increase as well. Is the rumor of a competing tour and the threat of losing top names driving this increase? Probably. Whatever, it's a great deal for the players, but is it more of a turnoff for golf fans? You know, we talked about this last year. When is too much too much? Um, $15 million purses, a $15 million first prize for the Tournament of Champions at the FedEx Cup. Um, what, you know, this is just mind-boggling me. I mean, I mean, I remember my my dad talking about, you know, like when Mickey Mantle was making $100,000 or whatever. I mean, oh, my goodness, that's so much money. And, you know, and but now we see pro basketball athletes making $30, $40 million a year, baseball players, football players, quarterbacks making that kind of money. And now we got uh, uh, golfers, um, you know, playing for $15 million purses and more. When when does it stop? When do sponsors say I'm not going to put up that kind of money? I it just boggles the mind, Carlos. It really does, and uh, I think I still don't have like you an idea of how it what would happen. But I think that it will lead to something like what happened with the WGC. I don't see it going alone the PGL. But I think, it, like Rory saying, it will spawn some changes, very much needed changes, to to golf as it is right now. And, and I think that the the way that is going to be happening is that maybe they will increment the WGCs and make it part, maybe uh, get the PGL to maybe get involved in that. And that way, hey, everybody wins because the European Tour, the the PGA Tour and the PGL who's trying to do this uh, will be will be involved. That's the way that I, that I think it's going to be seen. Just like what happened when Greg Norman first came up with this idea that the WGCs came out, I think that it might be expanded to make it more of a of a global tour for both of the of the of the established European Tour and the PGA Tour. Because the thing is that they have to play in their tours if they want to play the Ryder Cup. And uh, that is a very important point that the players are taking into consideration and also would be a deterrent of going along to the PGL. So, yeah, this is going to be different. Uh, I think it might bring in some changes, like Rory saying, but I, I don't see it as it's a standalone tour, for sure. Carlos, I want to make one more point before we get away from this topic. Um who I see could be the big winner in this thing is the European tour. And knowing Keith Pelley, the way he likes to wheel and deal and shake, them, shake things up, 
if these guys want to hook up with somebody, if the Premier Golf League wants to hook up an established tour, the European tour would be the one because they're like the, you know, stepchild to the PGA Tour. All the big money's over here, and they're left, you know, bringing up young guys and developing, and then they move over here to the to America. They could completely change that with somebody with deep pockets. So if these guys have a lot of money and Keith Pelley can go in business with these guys, and if he can start paying uh, $10 million purses, not just the Rolex series events that are $8 million, if he could start paying 20 or 30 events a year that are $10 million purses, he could get his European guys to stay there and not come to the United States, and they can make the kind of money they want. Um, they don't have to travel over here. Uh, it could be a world tour and go into these places that the American tour, the PGA tour, has been lax to spread out. You know, you like it. It's nice and safe and comfy here in the United States. They have played a little bit. They play a little bit in the fall and in Korea and the Philippines and Mexico, but they don't like it, but they do it. They don't play any golf in South America. We should... The PGA Tour should be playing golf in South America. They should be playing, uh, they just play one tournament in Canada. Um, but, it, you know, so if you get a European tour that has the money that these guys seem to have, and if they can work a deal, now you could, you could put tournaments in these places. People would come and see them. TV would cover them. And, um, you know, they would draw some players, Carlos. So I see the European tour as the most to gain in this whole deal. It could be. It could very well be. We'll see. We'll keep an eye on this and certainly bring you any details that we hear about them. Hey, talk about an instant turnaround. The latest European tour schedule is out, and it's a massive step in the right direction. There are seven new events on the docket for 2020, including 15 in Europe, the overall price money is up $4.96 million to $19.8 million total. Anne Van Dam now serves as an ambassador for the new Dutch Ladies Open, played at the home course Russenshildale Golf Club in Arnhem. And there are two new tournaments in Sweden, including the $1.65 million Scandinavian mix hosted by Henrik and Annika at the Creek House Ladies Open. The tour also returns to Switzerland with the new VP Bank Lady Swiss Open next September. The previously announced Saudi Ladies Championship offers a $1 million first. So there you go. There, the ladies are going to go to Saudi too. The season now ends with the Andalusia Costa del Sol Open de España Femenino in November, an event that doubled its price fund to $661,917. It also marks the end of the race to Costa del Sol, a season-long competition that offered $275,000 between the top three finishers on the official ranking. Late last year, you might remember that the LET players voted unanimously to combine efforts with the LPGA, and uh, there were, that new joint venture board includes six directors from the LET, four directors from the LPGA, including Commissioner Michael One, and one from the RNA. Uh, which is Chief Executive Martin Slumbers, and one from the European Tour, which is Chief Executive Keith Pelly. Katrina Matthew, who is on that board, uh, 
she was the captain for the Southampton Cup in 2019, this last year, and will be again next year for the European Southampton Cup, has committed to compete on the LET this season. And she said, you know, that she would be those uh, players and those joining for the first time should be proud to be part of this tour. She says she will be keeping an eye on some of the exciting young players coming through as she looks ahead to retaining Solheim Cup next year in Toledo. So, Fred, to echo Michael One's words, the LET and the LPGA only began working in September together, but the results in the first 90 days and the positive response from across the golf industry have been incredible. So, Fred, we see overall purse increases, seven new events. Uh, I think it's a very massive, massive step in the right direction. Carlos, we said it before. Michael Wan is a genius. Um, you know, he wasn't that long ago. They they got together and they hammered out a deal uh, around the uh, the Solheim Cup, and then uh, now all of a sudden you've got an eighteen million. Uh, Euro Tour. It's not anyways near the $70 million that the, the LPGA is playing for this year, but it's still a lot more than they had last year. They got 24 tournaments. Uh, you know, they had a bunch of tournaments canceled last year. They got new tournaments this year, 15 tournaments in Europe. Um, you know, just it's it's all upbeat. You got million-dollar purses in, in three events. You got a new year-long uh, race uh, bonus pool. Um, what, what I mean, this is just like a real golf tour now for the uh, ladies European tour. So this is really all positive. Michael Wan steps in and the LPGA tour team, uh, marketing team, and boom, all of a sudden you've got a, a really solid tour. So uh, I, I really think, Carlos, as we've said before, this really all spawns out of the fact that the LPGA tour has to have a vibrant ladies European tour to have these women to come and play in the Solheim Cup. It has become such a huge deal for the LPGA tour. Uh, they've got to have it so it was to the LPGA. Even if they're not getting paid, even if they're not getting a cut of it, it was to Michael Wan's uh, advantage to help strengthen the ladies European tour. And this is all about business. It's all about the numbers, Carlos. Um, but uh, I really think uh, this is uh, this is amazing to me. And I, I think maybe now this is we've seen the Ladies European Tour bottom out. Maybe it's all up up from here, Carlos. Oh, definitely. And uh, I don't know what the deal was, but we we talked about it at length. I mean, Michael one is involved. Something's going to happen at least on paper. Uh, we see already the, the massive increase in purse, seven new tournaments. Can't wait to see what's going to happen there. And it's very important, definitely, that the LET provides a very respectable product if they want to keep the Solheim Cop alive. Hey, Fred, I know you'll like this one, this story, because junior golfers from around the world, the future of golf, they are preparing to compete in the third edition of the Major Champions Invitational presented by Golf Saudi, which is taking place at the Lookout Mountain Golf Club in Phoenix, Arizona, already. It's, uh, it started on the 25th. It's going to end on the 30th. Jack Nicholas is one of the 18 major champions who will act as team captains 
on that uh, on that tournament in Arizona, the 72 junior golfers will be split onto teams of four, each captain and mentored by one of the 18 major champions, including Jack Nicklaus, Brooks Kepka, Jordan Spieth, Adam Scott, Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, Henrik Stenson, Annika Sorenstam, and Georgia Hall. The tournament was conceived by Sir Nick Faldo as part of his desire to provide more opportunities to young golfers in addition to his already well-established Faldo Series event. The major champions invitational presented by Golf Saudi has an action-packed schedule with the juniors playing four rounds of golf, including three competition, as well as enjoying front-row seats at a clinic given by Sir Nick along with the chance to meet with a selection of their golfing heroes. Last year, individual awards were won by England's Connor Goh and Annabelle Fuller, who were both part of Georgia Hall's team. Golf has since represented the GBI and, uh, and the GBNI and the Walker Cup, while Fuller played for Europe at the Junior Solheim Cup. Fred, the team competition last year was won by Annika Sorenstam's team. So what's your take on this uh very nice uh, tournament. Yeah, Nick Faldo and Annika Sorensen both have uh, really promoted junior golf around the world, not just the United States, around the world. Uh, Sir Nick was one of the early ones going to China and going to Asia and going to different countries and, and doing his junior tours. Yeah, I mean, he started those right after he retired from golf. Uh, Annika has her uh, uh, invitationals and her series of seven events, and they're played all over the world. Um, so they're doing a great job with junior golf, and uh, this looks like a fantastic event. You know, and Carlos, anything that uh, promotes junior golf, and and these are, I mean, these are elite junior golfers. These aren't your run of the mill. These are these are the kids that that are, are ahead of everybody else right now. They're, they're really uh, great. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're cut above. They're champions. So uh gives uh, the elite golfers a chance to get together and, and have a super event. I, um, I was just – I talked to uh, someone at the PGA show, and we'll have them on the show here in the, in the near future, that's also developing a new junior uh, tournament for the winners of every state's um, junior Open Championship uh, wants to bring them down to Florida for an event once a year. And just to get these elite kids together so that they get to meet each other and, you know, are inspired by each other and that kind of thing. And that's exactly what this is doing. You're getting the top junior golfers together into an event. You're throwing in the legends of the game and some of the big names, letting them see those, be inspired, and, and hopefully will uh, learn something and improve their game along the way, Carlos. It's it's got to be a good thing. I, well, I wish they had stuff like this when I was a kid, and I could have played junior golf like that. Oh, definitely. And that, the opportunity for those juniors that, like you say, they are just a step away from starting bigger careers uh, to pick the minds of those legends and the major champions, how you did that, because they're going to have direct access to them. Some of them are going to be the captains of their teams or are going to be coaching them, mentoring them. That is just uh, an opportunity unlike any other. They don't have those kind of opportunities anywhere else. But anyway, Fred, tell us a little bit about the PGA and the Folds of Honor that announced a new agreement. What, what happened there? 
Yeah, the uh, PGA uh, is jumping in with the uh, folds of honor. Well, I'll tell you, uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dan Rooney and Major Ed Toledo, they just continue to grow the folds of honor. It is absolutely amazing. And uh, they're, they're bringing along their good buddy, uh, uh, Tony, there at Patriot Golf Day as well. Uh, so Folds of Honor is a nonprofit that provides educational scholarships to spouses and children of fallen and disabled veterans. And uh, they're hooking up a new agreement with PGA Reach, which is the charitable foundation of the PGA of America, uh, to bring important initiatives to serve military families through golf. Um, in all of this, you've got the Patriot Day involved, and then you've also got PGA Hope. So beginning this year, the two organizations will come together to expand and grow annual fundraising efforts for both Patriot Day and PGA Hope to better serve the needs of veterans and their families through the game. Uh, the announcement was made at the 2020 Merchandise Show uh, last week. And uh, so and this is going to be a really good deal, Carlos, because PGA Hope is a really good organization. It's one of the best things that, that probably the PGA does that I'm aware of. And Folds of Honor, I mean, you, it, what a great organization that is. Uh, Rooney has just done unbelievable things, growing that thing, the millions of dollars that they raise. Every, they know what they're doing. They know how to, to raise money. And uh, so PGA Hope needs that. It, 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 PGA Hope is doing great things every day, every day. I, I, I know four or five guys that, that have PGA Hope uh, the, uh, programs at their facilities, and uh, the results that they get and the stories they tell, it's, it's really good stuff, Carlos. So uh, this has got to be a good deal. When, you, when you're marrying up Rooney and the Folds of Honor with PGA Hope, I, I see nothing but good things there. Most definitely. So congratulations on that new venture there. Fred, the Tiger Woods ruling has taken effect. I'm going to call it that way because the World Golf Hall of Fame has changed its age eligibility for the second time and has revamped its voting categories. The World Golf Foundation Board of Directors announced that the age requirement has been lowered from 50 to 45, or if a player has been inactive for three years. <laughs> Why I call it the Tiger Woods effect? Well, because an immediate effect of the change is the Tiger, who has 182 PGA Tour events and counting, 15 major championships and counting will be eligible as of his 45th birthday, December 30th of this year. I remember when the age limit was raised from 40 to 50. That was back in 2016. Tiger didn't look that good then. He would have to wait until 2024. But now he's playing really well. So, you know, let's move down that to 45. Let's bring him in right away. In addition, the veterans category has been eliminated and the lifetime achievement category has been changed to contributor. So players from all eras will be eligible through the competitor category. Now also Fred, the dominating and selection committee has been expanded from 16 to 18 to what members of the media and hall of fame members, Beth Daniel, Nick Price and Curtis Strange have been named to join Annika Sorenstam as the selection committee co-chairs. You know, Carlos, this smells to me of the World Golf Hall of Fame um, struggling. And um, I, I was there a couple of years ago and went through there. And um, I have to say, I, 
I, I was not too impressed with it. Um, and I've been talking to people over the years. Um, they don't do very well with it. Um, and it really, you know, they, they, they make a big bang once a year when they announce the new class and when they enshrine them and they have that on Golf Channel. And that's, that's pretty much it. Nobody's really going and touring the thing. Uh, the numbers are not that good. And, and so they're really struggling to find something, I think, to, to light a spark. And I, I'm not a big fan of dropping this, uh, you know, back down. Um, I don't know. It, it, I, Tiger could have waited a couple more years to, to be enshrined in the Hall of Fame. It, you know, he's still going to be playing for a couple more years. So um, one of the things you've got here, players who uh, are going to be eligible now in the 2021 class, uh, some of the men, Jim Furyk, Padraig Harrington, Henrik Stenson, Lee Westwood, and, of course, Tiger. Some of the women, Sophie Gustafson, Dottie Pepper, which you know she'll be in, Jane Geddes, and Lisa Lott Neumann. Um, so in, in, in a couple of years, then you got Christy Kerr, Suzanne Pedersen, Bubba. Oh, man, can you see, the, can you see Bubba's speech? Oh, my goodness. I, you, they better have a bucket sitting beside him. Uh, Sergio is going to be eligible in 23. Justin Rose, Adam Scott. These guys are not that old, and all of a sudden they're going to be in the Hall of Fame already. I don't. I just doesn't. It doesn't turn me on, Carlos. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I have to agree with you. I think that by adding, lowering, and adding Tiger Woods next year, that would just start to bring some attention to it. But uh, again, after that. What are you going to do? <laughs> Who's next up? It kind of going to be it just that, cheap that it. Big it, it seems it seems like it cheapens it to me. Does it you? No, definitely, definitely. I I I don't know, but I don't know how to to solve the problem that they have. So in this in this way, at least for a little while, they'll start attracting some attention to it. But the way I see it is, what are you going to do after you have Tiger in there? Because there's not going to be such a big name to attract after that. You're saying Sergio, Adam, uh, Scott, yeah, Bubba Watson, but those are not household names as Tiger Woods will be. So maybe they'll maybe they'll drop it down again so they get Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas and Dustin Johnson in and Ricky. Oh, (laughs) Ricky, we got to get Ricky, and that'll do it. Yeah, they'll lower it to 30. We'll see. Anyway, (laughs) with that, we wrap up our Bar 5 News. And it's time now for our VAG Very Important Guest of the Week. And our guest this evening on Back Night Report is our good friend Dove Jones, who has been involved in golf travel for many years. She travels around the world, finding the best destination for golfers. She's currently working with DPNL Golf, who is focused on providing affordable golf travel, especially to Scotland, Ireland, and other European golf destinations. Fred, you interviewed her, and we're going to play that, but if you want to add something before we play it. No, I've known Dove for uh, for a few years, and um, we've talked about, you know, um, working together on different things, and and, uh, so she's working with this new company, DP&L, and... uh, she really has some ideas and can help people if they want to travel to, you know, Scotland, Ireland, and not pay like ten or twelve thousand dollars like a lot of these high-end 
uh, travel companies uh, need you to pay. Uh, there's a way to take a trip over there, see a lot of the stuff, and not pay as much money, uh, maybe half of that or maybe for 4000 or something like that. So it becomes a more doable kind of thing for a wider range of golfers, and that's what she's looking for, making it more affordable. So, Carlos, go ahead and play it. We're happy to welcome our good friend, Dove Jones, to Back Nine Report. Dove, got the chance to talk to you a little bit at the PGA Show. Great to see you again. Great to see you, too, Fred. You were telling me that you are working on a new assignment with DP&L Golf, and I know you travel around the world quite a bit. You're, you've been involved in the golf travel industry for a long time. Tell me a little bit about DP&L Golf and what that is. So I'm really excited, Fred, to be working with these guys. I've known their chairman, uh, CEO Alec Bissett, for a long time, and Alec is actually the current uh, chairman of the Amateur Championship Committee for the RNA. So he's traveling around the world, hosting very prestigious amateur championships. He just got back from the Latin American uh, Amateur Championship. But DPNL Golf was Alex's brainchild five years ago when he bought the parent company, DPNL Group. Uh, DPNL actually stands for Dundee, Perth, and London, and it started life as a ferry and freight company in 1826. And as such, it actually was doing uh, passenger travel before Thomas Cook in the UK. Um, and the golf side of the business actually predates and goes back to the 1920s. They were doing um, golf trips up from London and other parts to St. Andrews using that famous red building, which is now Hamilton Grand, started life before the wars at the Grand Hotel. And they actually did dedicated golf trips up to St. Andrews in Scotland, to the Highlands, and then also did trips to the 1931 um, Open Championship at Carnoustie. So it's got a great heritage. They really focus right now on all over the U.K., and not just the big ones, but also affordable golf, showcasing that everyone can travel to the UK to play the Great Links courses. There's plenty of them there that aren't a mortgage payment to play. In addition, our sister company is DPNL Travel, so we can actually send golfers anywhere in the world they want to go. And that's the thing I really want to key on here. I know in chatting with you, and I know a lot of our listeners would love to go to Ireland or to Scotland or to Kent or one of the places in the UK to play all those great old Links golf courses. But when they start talking to travel companies and, you know, looking at things to get over there, it adds up pretty fast. But you specialize in affordable golf trips. It's great to play the Carnoustie's and the King's Barns of the Worlds and Glen Eagles, but there's great golf that's much more affordable, and you can have just as much fun. You can go see these other places, and if you don't want to spend the big bucks to play them, there's other golf that can be played that's just as much fun. Yeah, there definitely is. As a matter of fact, I'm on, I've been on various ranking panels throughout my life, so I've been very lucky to play not only just the big ones, but also the smaller ones, which are so much fun. And one of the things we're coming out with now with National Club Golfer, which is a U.K. publication, is the fun courses to play. There's so many of them. They're a little quirky. They're kind of fun. But when the sun is shining and the wind is blowing, you really don't know whether you're on Cullen, which is up in the northeast of Scotland, or on Carnoustie. The shots are the same. The scenery is actually probably better off some of the smaller ones. And it's costing you 50, 60 pounds versus 
200, 250, and in some cases, Turnberry, 350 plus. So it's, there's so much affordable golf over there. There's wonderful nine-hole courses, and it's really an authentic experience. What happens so many times is people go over and they only travel in their eights, and they're only playing in visitor times, and they're only actually meeting other Americans, where going over shoulder seasons a little bit, playing some of the smaller ones, you actually get to meet members. It's a whole different experience and one that really has been the difference in my life going over there and spending time. One of the things that I know you specialize in, too, in the trips that you put together are off-course activities. So when you visit these places, you just don't want to see the golf course. You want to check out the pubs. You want to check out the inns. You want to check out some of the other things to see in those other locales, and you can help people set that up as well. Most definitely. There's so much to do over on the other side. Whiskey distilling. Oh, now you're talking, laddie. Now you're talking. Whether you're in Ireland or Scotland, and do you know the difference between the Irish and the Scottish whiskey? In Scotland, whiskey is spelled without the W-H-I-S-K-Y. It is distilled twice. In Ireland, your whiskey is spelled with the E, more like the American version, and it's distilled three times. It has a bit of a cleaner taste to it, where the Scotch whiskey is more flavored with the peat. And so depending on the area, like a wine and the grapes, whiskeys really have a very different taste in how they're flavored, how they're aged, um, and especially how they're, what the peat is like. So on the west side of Scotland and over on Isla, which is known for its very heavy whiskey, got a very thick smoky taste whereas in the highlands it's a much cleaner taste and in ireland with the third distillation you get a little bit of a cleaner taste as well but there's so many of them now and what's becoming really popular is micro distilleries as in the state there's micro breweries so what happens is you can't legally sell whiskey uh before three and a half years and even then it's not aged while these new distilleries are coming up, individually owned and smaller distilleries, they're actually selling gin. Gin's become very popular over there, and the flavorings of gin, there are literally hundreds of gins now. So that's some kind of fun as well. In lots of places, you can actually flavor and make your own gin. As the road hole at the Old Course Hotel has a fabulous whiskey bar featuring over 150 whiskeys, there's a wonderful gin library at a place called Galcorum which is a country house hotel in Northern Ireland. And it has a gin library with over 150 gins from all over the world. So there's lots of off-course activities besides that. Food gets a bad rap in Ireland and Scotland, but I will tell you, in the last 20 years, it's phenomenal. It's, it's amazing what the chefs are doing. The larder over there is amazing. I mean, Angus beef comes from Scotland and Angus cows. The fish, the seafood industry, and even the vegetables, it's an amazing order of food, and the young chefs are really having a great time with it. So no matter what you want to do, whether it's outdoor pursuits, shooting, sailing, hiking, or the indoor pursuits, drinking, food, everything is there for you. And you can have a really authentic experience and still come home with some pounds in your wallet. We've been talking with Dove Jones from DP&L Golf, and uh, we're happy to announce that Dove is going to kind of – serve as our international correspondent and bring us 
more information about international golf travel. Dove, we're happy to uh, to have you on board. Where can we reach you? Where can our listeners find you if they want to look up and maybe get a hold of you about maybe arranging a trip to uh, to Ireland, Scotland, or some other international locale? We're really easy to find. We have a toll-free number. Now, they work on Scotland hours, but we'll be happy to get right back to you. That toll-free number is one 855 213-0677. DPNL's golf website is www.dpandlgolf.com. We'll be glad to get back with you, and hopefully in the future, too, Fred and I are talking about putting it together a trip for your listeners and your readers. So look for this at in the near future. We're going to get that firmed up. I uh, really want to do that. Dove, thanks again for coming on with us today and giving us some information. We look forward to chatting with you some more down the road. Thank you so much, Fred. Enjoyed it. Cheers. There you have it. That was Dove Jones. So, Fred, any final words before we go to the practice range? Yeah, as Dove mentioned, uh, you can find out more about golf travel, international golf travel, from DPNL by visiting their website, dpand, dpandlgolf.com, or call 855-213-0677. If you call the number, be sure to give them the code, hashtag B9M20, to let them know that you heard about them here on Back Nine Report. That's hashtag B9M20. Um, so there might even be some discounting there involved. I don't know, but... Uh, double fix you up if you if you get a hold of them. So, yeah, Carlos, uh, we're gonna we're gonna be talking more about some international travel uh, down the road here a little bit, and uh, Doug's gonna help us out with that. All right. With that, we conclude the VIG very important guest of the week, and now we talk we talk on the practice range for every week. Fred and I pick a topic, and each one of us take our own shots at it. And this week, we're gonna talk about. The Players' Championship. You know, the PGA Tour has launched the latest salvo in the purse war with the USGA and the US Open, raising the total for the Players' Championship from $12.5 million to $15 million, which is the largest single increase in the players' purse from one year to the next. An increase of $2.5 million from even a year ago when the tournament moved back to March after a dozen years in May. The news was first reported by Associated Press on Friday, announced by PGA Tour Commissioner Jane Monaghan at a meeting of the PGA Tour Player Advisory Council ahead of the Farmers Insurance Open. The Players' Championship already was tied for having the biggest purse on the PGA Tour. However, for this year, the PGA Tour is upping the ante even further for their crown jewel event. The Players' Championship winner will receive $2.7 million dollars this year, an increase of 450000 over what Rory McIlroy took home in winning the unofficial fifth major last year. While the PGA has worked in recent years to de-emphasize the money available to players through the players and the FedEx Cup, it's hard for the players themselves to ignore such staggering sums. It also gives the PGA Tour a leg up when comparing the players to the four major championships. After the tour announced the players' purse increased to $12.5 million last year, the USDA countered in kind to raise the U.S. Open purse to $12.5 million. The other majors, the Masters, 
the British Open and the PGA Championship half lag behind. Last year, the Masters purse was $11.5 million. The PGA Championship was at $11 million, and the British Open was at $10.75 million. Right now, it is unclear if the organizations behind the majors will respond in time for their boosting price money. However, with the PGA of America entering the first year of a new lucrative deal with CBS and ESPN, it's reasonable to expect that the PGA Championship 2020 purse to increase too. The Fred, I'm going to leave it there for now. Uh, let me give you the first take on what you think about this increase. Well, I hinted a little bit about it when we were talking back about the Premier Golf League. I really think they are driving this thing. I think the PGA Tour is a little bit afraid of these guys taking some of their bigger names away. And so they're taking kind of a preemptive strike here at these guys and saying, well, you want to do business, you're going to have to do better than $10 million purses because PGA Tour controls two main things. Number one, they control the Players' Championship, and they control the FedEx Cup. What did we see the FedEx Cup pay last year? $15 million. That's Plus, there's the $70 million bonus pool for these guys. So they're not walking away from the PGA Tour anytime soon because there's just too much money there all year long. The other thing is the Players' Championship, now they've raised the purse. In a couple of years, they've raised that purse all the way up to $15 million. That is unbelievable. $2.7 million is going to go to the winner of the Players' Championship. So when that happens the Masters, the PGA, the U.S. Open, and the Open Championship, they've got, to, they've got to join in with this thing. If they want to maintain their status as a major championship, they've got to offer a major purse. They can't be letting the, the players giving out $2.5 million more in purse than they're giving out. So... The Masters 11.5, you know they're going to have to go to 12 or 13 million this year. They're going to have to. The PGA, um, they're at 11 million. What are they going to do? They're going to have to go up. The U.S. Open pretty much always matches the highest number. So if the players is going to 15, I wouldn't be surprised to see the U.S. Open jumping up that same 2.5 million up to 15 to match them. And the PGA usually likes to stay awful close. So. Um, the Open Championships are a little different. Uh, they probably won't go all the way, but they're at 10.7 to 5. I think it's going to be pushing them to get to 12, but you know they're probably going to try. So it's all about, one, number one, the PGA Tour is trying to make sure that their guys are getting a best deal and don't want to flee to the Premier Golf League. Um, they also, um, it's forcing the PGA and the USGA to stay relevant. To me, I asked the question, when will sponsors balk at all these increased costs? I mean, today it takes, I was talking to some people, it, it takes about $20 million to host a PGA tour event. And you've got to have that in your pocket. Uh, that's not just like, Oh yeah, we're going to try and get that. No, you got to come to them with that kind of money in the bank before the PGA tour will even think about you. 
And then they got to wait till there's an open spot now on the schedule because they got the year pretty much filled up. So there is still a lot of interest in hosting or sponsoring a PGA Tour event, but the costs are just getting astronomical. The other part of this, Carlos, is to me, this it, it, we're getting into a situation like the European Tour where you've got the Rolex event and then you've got these other low purse events. It's like two tours. By making this much for the majors, does this devalue the other tournaments that only offer $6 million or even less? You know, some of the opposite field events only go, what, three and a half or $4 million. So um, I, I take so much money to get an event now. We're, we're seeing more of a split. And I haven't talked about the World Golf Championships. Uh, they come in, I think, at $10 million. Are they going to have to raise up to twelve? To stay relevant, uh, are they going to go to 12 just to, to fend off the Premier Golf League? Um, I, I don't. I mean, this money thing is just unbelievable. But to me, the bottom line on this whole thing, it looks to me like the PGA Tour said, "We've got to take action. We've got to be out ahead of this Premier Golf League, and we're going to raise our purses up." Okay, I am going to <clears throat> read. Three quotes from three players that they were asked about this um, by Associated Press. Sander Shoffley said, and I quote, it's our flagship event. It needs to counterbalance the major championships, and it's putting a nice incentive out there. I'm not upset by it. Uh, Jason Day, he said, it feels like it keeps going up and up. That's great. I'm not complaining. But the one that really I want to say is the one that Brent Snedeker said. As a player, I feel good about it. The player doesn't push the majors to keep up. The majors are huge money makers, and we, we're getting a small percentage of that. Now the players, the professional players, not the tournament, are the victims of all the money that the majors are taking. So Brent Snedeker, and that might be the feeling of some of the other players, is that they're not getting their chunk. Again, we're going the same way that the pro players in football, in basketball, everywhere. That's the big thing. They're getting they're getting stolen their money, really, by the by their organization. That's what it is all about. It's all about money. And again, it goes back to what happened and what I have been saying last year, and I said, you know, the, the, the PGA Tour has been trying to de-emphasize the attention to more money. No, it's not about the money and all that, but you keep increasing the purses. You don't, you want to take the attention of it? Stop increasing the purses. The players chose Rory McIlroy just because he won the biggest paying the biggest uh, paying tournaments. He didn't win. He, he was the best on the majors, the ones that traditionally would have been the the factor to select who's the player of the year is. Now, taking away from Rory, I'm saying he he was a great player last year, super consistent year, the best play, the best year consistent wise for him. But honestly, the players chose him because they're sending a message of. It's all about the money. This is what it's all about. And the question is, really, is it going to end? No, it's not. 
everywhere we keep seeing the same thing. I just want them to shut up and not say it's not about the money. Just keep saying it. That's what you all want. That's what you all want. More money. Give me more money. Let's do it. Shut up and being hypocrites. That's what this is all about. Really. It's nothing else. Now, yes, I don't think it's so much about the PGL. I really don't think it's just about the PGA Tour saying, I want to push this as the fifth major as well. This is going to now give them an, uh, an, uh, a leg up in saying, I'm bigger than what the majors are. You have to include me here. So, you know, for that's, me, that's it's a, all about that's a, that's a really good point, yeah, Carlos. I, you know, uh, it's just kind of like I'm buying my way into the game. You know, it's uh, we're playing Texas Hold'em, and I'm pushing all in here, and you're either going to put up or shut up. Uh, and uh, they're just – they're really pushing these major championships. Um, and, you know, I mean, the Masters make so much money from that tournament, uh, same way with the PGA the PGA Championship. Uh, and they don't like to tell you what they're making, but uh, you know that they're making big bucks. So – uh, you know, in the U.S. Open, my, or the USGA, we know what they're getting paid, $100 million bucks a year. And the biggest chunk of that is because of the U.S. Men's Open, for sure. They, they use that $100 million to fund all the other tournaments, but still, uh, they don't, it doesn't cost them $100 million a year to do that. That's for sure. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, the players, they feel like they deserve more. They're getting an awful lot. Uh, but there's a lot of things involved here. It's just not, you know, the players versus the other majors and the FedEx Cup versus the other majors. Um, you got all these other lesser tournaments, too. I, it would be great if some of this other money would be spread around to some of these other tournaments and a fund would be to help some of the smaller tournaments have a bigger purse or something. I don't know. But, um, man, this thing's getting really getting out of control, Carlos. I don't know. I it just, uh, I, I can tell you've got kind of a sour taste in your mouth about it. And, uh, it, it's good for the players. You know, they're going to, they're going to make more money. If you can get on the PGA tour, you got a chance to, I mean, if you just win one of these things, um, I mean, you're set, you know, you are set. It's not like Jack Nicholas, Jack in his best year won $330,000. Uh, I think he won five times or something that year. Um, I, the money is just unbelievable today, Carlos. Unbelievable. Yeah, when when Jack Nicholas won it, he won two hundred and forty thousand dollars for winning it. Last year, John Ram and two others won two hundred fifty-three thousand dollars for finishing tie for twelve. That's yeah. how ridiculous this thing is. But anyway. I I think we've given it a, enough thought. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I'm, so, I'm good. Uh, I said go, everything I wanted to say. Let's close it there. Yeah, let's close it there. And that was our practice range. Uh, let's move on now to close the show with our final pods. Fred, I'm going to ask you to go first. I, I, I have to finish something here. All right. Um, just want to mention, I'm just going to mention a couple of them here. Um the um, Augusta National Women's Amateur is scheduled for the weekend prior to the Masters, just like last year. At the beginning of April, invitations to participate have been accepted by 65 young women who will play in the event this year. Uh, 
this is an experience of a lifetime for the very talented ladies that will play a practice round and the final round at Augusta National on Saturday before the Masters. Also, registration is now open for drive, chip, and putt qualifiers. You need to go to the website, drive, chip, A-N-D, putt, drive, chip, and putt.com. Find the nearest qualifier near you. Doesn't cost anything. Get your, uh, get your little golfer signed up and, uh, and go uh, get them entered. Um, Golf Riders, uh, GWAA News, Golf Riders Association of America, uh, Michael Wan is going to be recognized with the William B. Richardson Award. And, if uh, you know, we talked about Juan earlier in the show. If he's not the best sports executive in the world right now, I don't know who it would be. He is just fantastic. He's going to be honored with the, uh, with the William D. Richardson Award this year at the uh, dinner right before the Masters as well. Um, also, Carlos, um, got a story here about a former Major League Baseball player who uh, – who, had jumped out of his car to do something. Another guy jumped in his car, and he thought it was just a guy was a mistake, and he got in the wrong car. But the guy was stealing his clubs, which also had his watch and his phone in there, and he took off. And so the, the former player, Bobby Grinch, started running after him, and the guy wouldn't stop. So he, he jumped in another cart that a guy had gotten out of and, and took chase after this guy to run him down. So they finally got him, and he got his stuff back. But uh, And also... Um, the um, LPGA came out with a new uh, drive-on video that features Jarena Pillar. Uh, very nice. Uh, it's going to be an ad, so it's a very nice little video. You can uh, you can go watch that, uh, their drive-on campaign. Carlos, that's all I got for you. Uh, I do want to mention that uh, we put some new videos on uh, Back Nine Report. Um, we watch for our posts. Uh, of our 2020 winter golf tour, where we're at, what courses we're visiting. Uh, we're going to be putting some tips up for people to look at. So uh, watch for those on uh, on Facebook and Twitter. Um, I guess that's all I got for you for right now. Um, that wraps up the show for me. All right. I was going to cover Bobby Grinch and Jerina Pillar, but you got it. So good one there. I'm just going to add about uh, Bobby Grinch. I mean, he, the guy is 71 years old, and he ran after the cart halfway down the fairway. That's about 200 yards. Man, I wish I could do that right now at the HIM. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I can't do that. I see that, and I just pick up my phone and I start, or get a phone from somebody yeah. else and start calling the cops. I wouldn't even, even flinch. I'm about trying to run down, but 71-year-old Bobby Grange ran down the card for 200 yards. I mean, he said, and I, it was funny because then he said, that's about as fast as I've run since I tried to steal second of base about 30 years ago. <laughs> Way to go, Bobby. Way to go. <laughs> but anyway, back Niners, thank you. That wraps up another week of the Back Nine Report. Thank you for listening. It's always our pleasure to bring you the latest on the world of golf. Special thanks to our VIG, very important guest of the week, Dov Jones. Don't forget to join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Blockstock Radio. Or if you missed it, check it out on iTunes or TuneIn. Also on Roku TV. If you haven't done so, it's about time. Follow the show on Twitter. Our ID is at Back9Report. 
the number nine in the middle. My name is Carlos Torres. Along with Fred Alvader, we wish you to be happy, be blessed, and enjoy the great game of golf. Happy golfing, everybody. Good night, everybody.